Welcome everyone to Functional Medicine Research. I'm Dr. Hedberg, the founder of the Hedberg Institute, a virtual education platform that helps healthcare practitioners learn how to practice highly effective functional medicine. The Institute helps practitioners improve patient outcomes, which leads to more referrals and a more successful practice. Visit hedberginstitute.com for a free month. Today I'm going to be talking about vitamin B12. We'll go through the assessment and uh, the treatment of uh, B12 deficiency. So first I just want to note that cyanocobalamin has no known biochemical function. It must be converted to become active. It gets converted into hydroxocobalamin, methylcobalamin, or adenosylcobalamin. All three of those forms of B12 have equal bioavailability. Methylcobalamin and adenosylcobalamin are coenzyme forms of B12, whereas hydroxocobalamin can be converted into methylcobalamin or adenosylcobalamin. So B12, it's used for DNA synthesis, homocysteine metabolism, S-adenosylmethionine, red blood cell formation, nervous system and immune system function. B12 is necessary for folate to be metabolized properly into methionine and succinyl-CoA. Low levels of B12 and increased levels of folate are associated with higher concentrations of methylmalonic acid and total plasma homocysteine. So the sources of B12 uh, the average American diet has about 5 to 15 micrograms a day. This comes from meat, poultry, fish, eggs, and dairy. These are the primary sources. It's not found in most non-animal food sources, so individuals consuming a plant-based diet are at an increased risk of deficiency. And non-meat Food sources such as chlorella, spirulina, nori, and fermented soy contain mostly B12 analogs, which have no activity in humans. 51% of those following a macrobiotic diet were found to be deficient in B12. So something to be aware of for your patients following plant-based diets. So how is B12 absorbed? So pepsin and hydrochloric acid are necessary for cleaving B12 from protein in the stomach. So individuals with low levels of pepsin and hydrochloric acid are at a greater risk of deficiency due to a decreased breakdown for absorption. B12 supplements, crystalline B12, do not require hydrochloric acid or pepsin to bind to intrinsic factor. So B12 supplements are absorbed normally in hypochlorhydria. Intrinsic factor is made in the stomach and it's necessary for carrying B12 from the stomach to the intestines for absorption. Some individuals will have genetic SNPs that impair intrinsic factor production and they're at greater risk of deficiency and they must rely on B12 injections. Intrinsic factor becomes fully saturated at just 2 micrograms of B12, so it doesn't take much. Large doses can be absorbed through passive diffusion, which doesn't require intrinsic factor. 
but that's only 1% to 2% of absorption. So it's been shown that 1,000 micrograms a day can overcome a loss of intrinsic factor due to pernicious anemia. And pernicious anemia is, of course, an autoimmune disease characterized by destruction of parietal cells, which produce intrinsic factor. Let's run through the causes of B12 deficiency. Pernicious anemia, which we just talked about. Gastric disease or surgery, atrophic gastritis, which leads to parietal cell death. Use of gastric acid inhibitors like antacids, histamine receptor 2 antagonists, proton pump inhibitors. A pancreatic disease or pancreatectomy, that's removal of the pancreas. Parasite infections, intestinal bacterial overgrowth, ileal resections, impaired B12, and intrinsic factor absorption. Medications like cholestyramine and metformin impair B12 absorption and metabolism. Limited to poor food sources and choices, general malnutrition. A vegan or vegetarian diet like we talked about. Chronic alcoholism. Inherited disorders involved in B12 trafficking and metabolism. HIV, nitric oxide anesthesia, and conditions that result in chronic diarrhea or malabsorption, things like celiac disease and Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel, helicobacter pylori infection that results in hypochlorhydria, and eradicating H. pylori can improve B12 levels. People who take psyllium supplements for over a year can lead to B12 deficiency. And then genetic factors that absorb absorption and transport. So individuals with genetically higher methylmalonic acid levels require higher than normal B12 doses. Individuals with dementia, depression, neurasthenia, or chronic fatigue syndrome may have a genetic defect in transporters of B12 across the blood-brain barrier. And that results in subnormal sub or undetectable levels in the cerebrospinal fluid. So those individuals may require B12 injections. So the effects of deficiency, it takes about three to five years to develop a B12 deficiency due to uh, a deficient diet or pernicious anemia. So it takes a long time. The symptoms are depression, bone disease, hearing loss, Cognitive impairment, confusion, fatigue, delirium, orthostatic hypotension, impaired sensory and peripheral nerve function. Blood labs in adults may detect megaloblastic anemia or macrocytic anemia. So you monitor blood labs for elevated MCV, MCH, or MCHC. Subclinical cobalamin deficiency is more common than a true clinical deficiency, but it can be more difficult to detect with testing. So to obtain a definitive diagnosis, an abnormality and more than one biomarker for deficiency must be identified. So subclinical deficiency results in symptoms that are milder than a true deficiency, and they're less likely to progress 
So most notably, there may be a lack of anemia, neurological or cognitive symptoms in subclinical deficiency, and malabsorption issues may be mild or non-existent. So how do we assess B12 status? So serum B12 is a very poor test. A deficiency may exist even if this marker is normal. So this test is essentially, I don't want to say useless, but again, someone can be deficient in B12 and the serum B12 is normal. So it's helpful to test. If you are going to test that marker, you, you just have to test it in conjunction with methylmalonic acid. So an individual may have a B12 deficiency even when the results of B12 is normal in the serum. And the serum B12 levels may actually be high and the patient still may be deficient in B12. So let me just explain that again. You can have a normal serum B12 or an elevated serum B12 and be deficient in vitamin B12. So you always want to run methylmalonic acid. Now, if they have a high serum B12, that can indicate simply excessive B12 intake. So they're just taking a supplement. Uh, it could be a blood disorder. So you want to run a complete blood count. Uh, like leukemia can be one of the blood disorders that causes elevated B12. Cancer, neoplasm, kidney failure, liver disease, and inflammatory diseases, which are characterized by a high erythrocyte sedimentation rate or a high C-reactive protein. Pretty much anything that causes inflammation in the body, any disorder, can cause an elevated serum B12. So methylmalonic acid I mentioned if it's high, that indicates a B12 deficiency. This is really the most accurate lab test. You can test it in the serum or urine. Urine can be more accurate, and it's not influenced by uh, kidney function's effects on MMA. So homocysteine, that's nonspecific. It could indicate a B12 or a folate deficiency if homocysteine is high. Hollow transcobalamin, this is a very accurate test, but at this point, it's just mainly used for research purposes. It's not readily available by commercial labs. And then the 4CB12, that stands for four cobalamin markers of B12. It's a formula combining all four of the above tests that I mentioned. Other tests you want to run are antiparietal cell antibodies and intrinsic factor antibodies to identify pernicious anemia. If you want to learn how to have excellent success with complex cases like this, I recommend the Hedberg Institute membership. You'll learn how to effectively practice functional medicine so you can tackle any complex case and become a world-class practitioner. Visit hedberginstitute.com to learn more. So other indicators of B12 status, there's a lot here. So pregnancy, HIV, multiple myeloma or folate deficiency may present with low B12 levels without a true deficiency. 
Folic acid supplementation can mask a B12 deficiency by normalizing hematologic parameters that would point towards a deficiency, like we mentioned, MCV, MCH, MCHC. Hematologic parameters alone are not adequate for diagnosing a B12 deficiency. Hypersegmentation of neutrophils may be indicative of a B12 or a folate deficiency. Therapeutic trials of B12 supplementation are warranted even if lab tests are normal. And elevated gastrin may indicate hypochlorhydria and a possible B12 deficiency. So you'll see oral manifestations. Like if you look at the tongue, you'll see beefy red patches. Um, this has been shown to be 87% sensitive and 97% specific for B12 deficiency. You'll also see erythema on the lingual dorsum and the depapillated area as seen in uh, erythematous candidiasis. And erythema on dorsum surrounded by elevated bands forming deep grooves, a geographic tongue. Glossitis can also be a sign. This is red patches on the tongue. can be on the top, the side, or back of the mouth. And it can be located in the roof of the mouth. So supplementation with B12 has been shown to support immune system function, especially in those with autoimmune disease. It can also act as a modulator of the gastrointestinal microbiome. The following list of conditions have all shown a positive response in individuals supplementing with B12 on a trial basis. Atherosclerosis, ischemic heart disease, hyperhomocysteinemia, herpes zoster, ichthyosis, neurodermatitis or tachyria, vitiligo, hearing loss, olfactory dysfunction, taste disorders, tinnitus, constipation, diarrhea, fecal incontinence, gastroparesis, non-ulcer dyspepsia, back pain, bursitis, muscle cramps, osteoporosis, idiopathic facial paralysis, migraines, neuritis, peripheral neuropathy, sciatica, trigeminal neuralgia, Alzheimer's disease, anxiety, dementia, cognitive decline, depression, postpartum depression, AIDS, age-related macular degeneration, alcoholism, anesthesia side effects, aphthous ulcers, asthma, chronic fatigue syndrome, cirrhosis, cyanide poisoning, diabetes, end-stage renal disease, fatigue, growth retardation, hepatitis, hyperthyroidism, infertility, sickle cell disease, and tobacco amblyopia. So everything I just mentioned, you can use B12 supplementation on a trial basis, whether they are deficient in vitamin B12 or not. Drug interactions, so acids, suppressors, antacids, I mentioned the B12 supplements bypass this issue. 75% of aspirin users are deficient in B12 due to damaged gastric mucosa, colchicine, oral contraceptives, glucocorticoids, metformin, uh, nitroprusside, nitrous oxide, potassium citrate and potassium chloride decrease absorption of B12, and zidovudine. All those drugs uh, interfere with B12.
Folic acid can mask the laboratory diagnosis of B12 deficiency by normalizing anemia. So just 300 to 800 micrograms a day of folic acid will increase B12 requirements while exacerbating neurological symptoms of B12 deficiency. Low B12 and high folate levels increase the incidence of anemia and cognitive impairment along with high methylmalonic acid and homocysteine levels. Just one microgram a day of B12 increases folate requirements and aggravates a folate deficiency. So how do we manage this? So if they have pernicious anemia, you can do a thousand microgram injections of hydroxocobalamin or methylcobalamin. Those are done daily or weekly. Injections are done every one to three months for maintenance. You can use a thousand micrograms a day, minimum uh, oral dose of hydroxocobalamin, methylcobalamin, or adenosylcobalamin. And dissolving or chewing tablets is superior to swallowing tablets whole. And if there's fatigue, insomnia, depression, the injection frequency may be more important than the dosage. Be aware of some side effects of B12 supplementation. Anaphylactic reaction to B12 injections are rare. Uh, patients can have allergic reactions to oral B12. Acne, this is due to the fact that iodine is used in the production of B12. Nervousness and excitability is noted in B12 injections. If this occurs, the dose should be reduced. And abnormal involuntary movements in children can be seen. So as far as these supplements go, I like the uh, B12 methylfolate select from Moss Nutrition. It has 800 micrograms of methylated folate and 5,000 micrograms of methylcobalamin. And this is dissolved under the tongue once a day. With food, ideally breakfast or lunch, avoid taking later in the day due to the possibility of stimulation. And then I use uh, Moss Nutrition Betaine HCL or pancreatine select one to three per meal. This is, I use these in hypochlorhydria because remember you need HCL to cleave B12 from food sources. All right, so there was a lot of detail there. You can go to hedberginstitute.com to the articles section and you'll find everything I just talked about written up in uh, article format. Would you like to improve your patient outcome so you get more referrals and build the practice of your dreams? You can achieve this with the Hedberg Institute membership. The membership helps you master cases related to thyroid, gut health, autoimmune disease, hormones, infections, and more. I share with you all of my patient handouts, ebooks, therapeutic diets, protocols, white papers, and clinical pearls. You'll also get the most requested feature, which is weekly Zoom clinical rounds calls to go over your most difficult cases, questions, and labs. I'll help you navigate any case you need help with. Visit hedberginstitute.com to subscribe and use the coupon code 
HI membership. That's H as in Hedberg, I as in Institute membership. That's coupon code HI membership for one month free. And all members get a white paper handout of everything I just talked about today with additional material and a quick reference guide on how to assess and manage patients with vitamin B12 deficiency. Take care, everyone, and I will talk to you next time.